The Coffs Coast 186.3 Triple M. It's Moffy in the morning and tops in the mid to high 20s today from one of the best parts of the Coffs Coast down the back there at Nana Glen. I've been looking forward to having a chat to this bloke all weekend. Russell Crowe, g'day. Hey, man, how are you doing? Very good, mate. This How's is... your year started? It's, look... Oh, this is day one for you, A couple it, of right? hours in, it's going all right so far. <laughs> good, good. I'm looking forward to the Hoi Moe because you're going to be playing there for a couple of nights. And the reason why I'm excited about this is because up until now, for Indoor Garden Party, I've only been able to see stuff on YouTube. Yeah, well, we, you know, we tend to play in places outside of Australia. It's a funny band, you know. I live in Australia. Scott Grimes lives in Los Angeles. Alan Doyle lives in Newfoundland. Samantha Barks lives in London. And Carl Falk lives in Sweden. So rehearsals are a bitch. And we kind of tend to sort of like take turns of where things are going to be. But this isn't just an indoor garden party show that's coming up. It's also going to feature quite heavily this other band I've been working with down here called the Gentleman Barbers. And that's sort of like a, a little bit more pub orientated sort of you know rock and roll sort of stuff but it's a big bill man you know the show starts at five or just after five o'clock on the 23rd and 24th of january at the holy moly you've got the jenin string quartet and just for fun i've asked the string quartet i said explore the soundtracks of the various movies i've been and see what you come up with you know so they're gonna play like boccherini's madrid from master and commander they're going to play Now We Are Free from Gladiator. They're going to have that sort of set, right? Then there's this young band from Sydney called Myth of Her. Now, they're actually a metal band, and they've got like this sort of like growing audience in Sydney. But for this particular show, they're going to be playing their metal songs acoustically. Wow. So um, people will be able to really hear what the song's about because one thing about them, even, you know, sort of like as a metal band, their musicality is very good, you know? So their, their songs have a great basis. Anyway, so then there's this girl, Janet Devlin, who I saw first online. She's just this little girl. I say little because <laughs> short. I've never met her, right? Um, but I've been looking at her stuff for a couple of years. She's a singer out of Ireland. She comes from Northern Ireland. Uh, she did really well on one of those sort of TV show, you know, TV talent singing contests mm. sort of thing over there. That's how she got her recognition. But she just has this beautiful voice, man. And the way she interprets people, she's a, a writer herself, and she'll be out here from Ireland with this piano player, James Molyneux. She's amazing to listen to. Then there's Lorraine O'Reilly, another Irish girl, who, again, is a freaking incredible singer, man. She's kind of like the Irish Bonnie Raitt, you know? Mm. She opens her her mouth and just like shreds the freaking room. She's amazing, you know. Now there's a couple of other guests, but I'm sworn to secrecy there, and they're different on both nights. So there's so so no even hint. Um, I think if I was to give any hint, it would be such an obvious hint <laughs> that I'm like you know <laughs> giving the game away. But safe to say, this is a person who's gone, you know, multi-platinum in this country, right, on, on night one. Right. And the other person then the next night, there's a certain type of award that that person's won more of than anybody else. So, I mean, they're, they're big names, but they're just coming in, they're going to do a couple of songs. You know, it's, it's quite a long show. We've got to finish early at the home mode because uh, the neighbours complaining about noise after 9.30. So the show starts at 5 and ends at 9.30. It's going to be a massive show. Well, it's a lot to get through. It is a lot to get through. <laughs> Tell me about, for you, because, I mean, you've got, from the movie side of things, 
when you're doing the music stuff, is it kind of for you another creative process or is it kind of like a uh, a way to sort of relax a little? Hmm. It does relax me, right? But that's only because it requires a certain level of, of focus, you know? Mm. The thing is, you know, I started, you know, doing stuff on in films and, and shit from when I was six, 1970. But by the time I'm 14, I'm playing in bands. By the time I'm 16, 17, I'm performing professionally. I kind of get to film, man, from being in bands, and then the bands led to musical theatre, and then the musical theatre somehow, <laughs> magically, led to film. But to me, it's a completely valid part of my you know, creative life. And, uh, you know, sometimes I talk to people and then they realize that the first record that I did came out in 1981. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was 10 years before I was born. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, so it's, it's it, you know, I think if anything, over time, for me, the process is about, you know, just perfecting a song, just distilling a particular story or whatever into, you know, a few minutes. And, you know, I stop every now and then and discuss what the songs are about and, and all that sort of stuff and generally try and give people uh, a bit of a laugh, you know. But, you know, you, you might talk to the next person that does the same day job as me. And, you know, when they're in a particular cycle, they like to go and do a season of Shakespeare or something, you know. This is my Shakespeare, going back into a band environment, which is the environment that I grew up in. That's me going back to reconnect because there's no wall between me and the audience and the show is completely on my shoulders and reliant on the energy that I'm putting out. That to me, you know, although it comes with the sort of butterflies and all that sort of stuff, but when I'm in the middle of it, man, I'm really kind of in a funny way at peace. You know what I mean? That communication between, you know, from the stage to the audience through song is something I'm very, very comfortable yeah. at doing, you know? Because the one thing I love about the musical, the um, the album for Indoor Garden Party, is that, you know, no song is the same. Like, you, you get bands or artists or, or groups where you hear that same kind of thing through the whole album, whereas with this, it's it's a massive journey, really. Yeah, well, what we like to say is it plays, you know, an Indoor Garden Party show or album, you know, and, and what you're referring to is the musical, which is up on uh, Spotify. That's the name of the album, is the musical. It plays more like a playlist because every song has a different attitude. Now, every person in the band is a singer, but every person in the band is also has an instrument or multiple instruments when it comes to Carl Fork. I think he plays 23. He's some freaking genius, Carl. You know? And a joke that Alan always makes when we're recording with Carl is Alan will take a sleeping bag into the studio because he knows, sure as shit, at 2 o'clock in the morning, if he's not there... And Carl do a mandolin part. Carl will just simply replace it. <laughs> just get whatever the instrument is and do it. So Alan actually sleeps in the studio. But as I said earlier, this isn't the full indoor garden party band. It's the same attitude. But every time we perform, you know, because of the logistics, that it ends up being that the personnel in the room are slightly different, you know. So Lorraine O'Reilly, for example, who I was talking about before, mm. many years ago I got contacted by... Um, Declan Patrick McManus's brother, you might know Declan under his pseudonym of Elvis Costello. Yes. I got contacted by his brother, Ronan, who plays in a band called Bible Code Sundays. And he was doing an album full of duets that he'd written, you know, relating to his parents and other experiences in his life. And he was just reaching out to people that he, you know, was interested in working with. And, and he ended up pairing me with Lorraine in this duet. 
go hand in hand. And so Lorraine and I had sung together before we met. Wow. You know, and it wasn't until like a cycle of a, a year and a bit later that we were actually in London at the same time and we met and we got on really well. So she's come into the indoor garden party stuff now. She's, you know, she was part of the shows we did uh, recently at the Union Chapel in London and, and uh, in Leeds. And then also we played the Olympia in uh, Dublin. And I'm sort of writing songs for her voice now too, you know, because I want to write a song for that Bonnie Raitt beautiful thing that she has going, you know. Yeah. The shows sort of bounce along pretty well. And, you know, there's always like, there's lots of different things, but the whole basis of the show, it's all about, you know, what you communicate with a song. It's all about the story of a song. And, uh, you know, by the end of the night, obviously, we get people up on their feet and all that sort of <laughs> stuff because it's a pub gig, man, you know? Exactly. Uh, but we actually haven't, I haven't played in a pub. I was trying to think about when the last pub, because we've been doing theatres, man, mm. you know? Most of the time we'll go and do stuff, you know, like we'll just... You know, because there's IGP, spots of IGP fans in, in very strange places, you know, like, no, not strange places, but just places where you wouldn't necessarily expect. You know, mm. so one time Alan and I were together in uh, Iceland, for example, you know, I'm shooting a movie, he's there shooting a video clip, and this local radio station said, you know, reached out to us and said, look, there's a whole bunch of people that know your songs, would you be willing to do a show or so on International Music Day this weekend? I mean, that was like the Monday, and the thing was coming up on the Saturday. So we ended up doing four shows or something on the one day. We played everywhere from the opera house to a, like a street party, a house party, and then in a backpackers hostel. And we did the same sort of thing recently when we were recording in Sweden you know you just put out a tweet going anybody wants to come around to their house and play and then we ended up playing mm. the three house parties in the same day you know see those uh, fans those fans like the Rabbitohs fans you cannot go a day without seeing someone wearing something Rabbitohs isn't that brilliant the How random, good is that? The random Rabbitohs guy you know that you watch you might be watching whatever sport it happens to be you know tennis and flushing meadow and there's somebody in a Rabbitohs shirt or cap sitting in the crowd I think it really just underlines that South Sydney fans are very passionate about their sport. You know? Very much so. A couple of years ago, I did my show from London for a week, and I was walking down the Strand, and I could see a guy with a jumper, and I'm looking at the colours going, oh, is it? Sure enough, it was a Rabbitohs jumper. Excellent. It was so good. And it was, you know what, it, it got me so excited because of, like you said, that passion, there is that passion and that love that people have for their footy team, and the Rabbitohs seem to have it. Yeah, well, it's, you know, obviously back in the days before I took over, things were looking pretty bleak. The team had been so unsuccessful for such a long period of time that uh, it was desperate times, you know. But what we've all we've done then simply with the club is ensure that it always stays in uh, the black, you know. Mm. We shifted around. We did very basic things. Well, we shifted around when our membership things start and everything. So... The club is never actually in debt, and because it's you know doesn't hasn't gone into debt for X amount of years, and we're actually able to streamline things like our merchandise and you know uh, our ticketing and membership and stuff. We've been in profit since 2011. Now all the other clubs say that it's a very hard thing to do, but you know there it is on paper. So and that's so over a decade now of uh, being a profitable rugby league club in the NRL. Now, when we took over, you know, we said to the Rabbitohs supporters and, and members that there were two things we were going to do. One is feature heavily 
in the finals and be a competitive side, you know. We were going to go through a process from being an also-ran into becoming competitive, into becoming dominant, and from, from there, at that point in time, hopefully, at some point, win a premiership, which obviously we did in 2014. But the other part of that promise was to be able to say to the club members, we're going to be financially secure, we're going to pay our own way, and we're never going to be coming back to you with extra chook raffles and meat raffles or whatever, trying to pay for you know an extra physio or something, you know, mm. which it had been kind of the pattern of the club up until that point. It wasn't rocket science, man. No. You just treat it really passionately, and you know the, the sort of things I started off with were very basic. Give the boys in the team stuff to wear that made them feel good, you know, dress for success. Exactly. <laughs> so we started with just better merchandise, and you know my CEO. Like Sully told me last week that, you know, we've been number one in NRL merchandise for the past decade now. And, it's so sort of, uh, and it seems to be number one by a gap, you know. So that's great. We keep trying new things and putting things like, you know, what we've been doing as a, just one little example with our association to Anzac Day. You know, while everybody else seems to focus on the army or, you know, just in, in the camouflage colors or whatever, in the past few years we've honored the Australian Navy, and then we honoured the uh, Air Force. And coming up this year, super cool, we're actually honouring the Submarine Force. That's brilliant. So we have this black-on-black jersey, which is kind of supposed to represent, you know, the uh, submarine underwater and the way that a light refracts on a submarine, you know. So we've created really good relationships with our immediate community, our, our geographical community, but also the communities that look to South Sydney as being some sort of beacon, you know, and that's sort of into our Aboriginal communities and stuff. And we've done a lot of work in Aboriginal health, particularly focusing on dental health through our, our charity arm, South Cares. You know, we've tried to reach deep into the country. We play sometimes home games up in Queensland or, you know, in other regional areas, which gives, you know, in theory, slightly uh, a disadvantage because we're not actually at home. But some of these places now we've played in so regularly, like Townsville and what have you, that, you know, it feels like home when we're there. Hell, you know, even game at Suncorp Stadium feels like home now. <laughs> There's so many South Sydney supporters in the southern regions of Queensland. Yeah, exactly. Mate, well, all the best for uh, for 2023 with the Rabbitohs, but all the best for the gigs coming up at the Hoi Maui. Monday the 23rd of January, Tuesday the 24th of January. You can get tickets, just go to the website, hoimaui.com.au, and the links and stuff are there. Russell, thanks so much for your time this morning, mate. Good on you, mate. Welcome back to the job. Hope you have a great year. Russell Crowe, and it's going to be a fantastic couple of nights there at the Hoi Maui. I just want to know who the special guests are as well now. Such a mystery.